0: Field and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All
1: right, rolling on. Four o'clock hours here. Welcome in Reno, ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas. The hours brought to you by our friends at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. In fact, we're doing the show today from our studio, our backup studio, their studio, Battleborn Broadcast Studios, Battleborne Broadcast Center. If you uh, need help from Justin Watkins, Matt Hoffman, Anyone on the staff of Battleborn Injury Lawyers, you can call from anywhere in the state of Nevada, 775 in the north. The number is 766-1400, 702 down here, 766-1400. Uh, Willie and I had a chance to uh, talk to George Foreman now in his 70s with a a great life story. We all know a lot about George Foreman. We don't know everything about George Foreman because he's lived such a rich life. But we uh, started off the conversation talking about his new movie that's coming out, Big George Foreman. Remember back at the Super Bowl, we talked to the star of the movie, Chris Davis, as far as Whitaker is in this movie. And we started off with George just talking about what the movie is about. Uh, Is it all about? kind of transformations in life and second chances.
2: That's what it's about. So it's a movie for all of us. Everyone watch this so that we can all see what we can do. Forget about what has happened, but what we can do.
1: The movie's coming out on April 28th. Big George Foreman hits the theater. So let's talk about the uh, the genesis of the movie. How did folks approach you? Did you approach someone with your story? How did this all come together?
2: Well, I've written these books. The one in particular was A God in My Corner. And that's what was taken, the movie was uh, taken from that book. It's easy to watch your life on pages because people have to use their imagination. But not so easy when they bring it to art and on film because it's some embarrassing moments I had in my life.
3: Uh, So, Jordan, I'd like to go back over the years. This has become the fight capital of the world. I, I'd like your thoughts, because um, we're obviously going to talk about your career in the movie, but Las Vegas' is luster, it continues in boxing. It's now a pro sports mecca. Just your, your thoughts on the city itself and how you, because, I mean, you were an original figure that sort of sh- helped shape and mold yourself, Muhammad Ali, I mean, the greats, and now what it's become.
2: Yeah, well, actually... My boxing career in Las Vegas started in 1969, can you believe? And uh, we were just hoping to get a few people in the audience. The, it turned out okay, but I've seen that Las Vegas develop into really the place where dreams can really come true. If you want a good fight, big fight, walk down the streets and see your names in light, Las Vegas is where every athlete and entertainer got to be.
3: You and, and you've been to you've been here for fights in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. I assume into the new century to watch. Have, has the electricity during fight week or fight did it dissipate, fall off? Is it back? Where 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 would you see or how you know how did you see it sort of grow, dissipate, come back?
2: Yeah, my well, first in, in a, a real competitive fight was in Caesar's Palace. That was in uh, seventy six. And uh, was outside in the parking lot. And let me tell you, <laughs> it felt like I was out there in, a, in an alley fighting. The crowd was there. The fun was there. The suspense was there. And then to go back 1994, later on to become champ of the world, it had just gotten to be more than I could have ex- expected. Las Vegas, the place to be.
1: George, uh, Chris Davis plays uh, you in this movie. How much were you involved in making sure that Chris kind of repped you, especially from an athletic standpoint? You want you don't want someone playing a boxer and then kind of looking foolish out there.
2: Yeah, an actor. We, you don't want to say, I want a celebrity to play George Foreman. You truly wanted an actor. And that's what we got in Chris Davis. George Tillman, the director, brought this guy out and he made him George Foreman. The George Foreman that I could sit back in my seat and, and enjoy Yeah, Uh, I was happy. I made him look me in the eye. He looked me in the eye the first time we met. (laughs) I said, look me in the eye. He he, he moved his head away. I said, no, look me in the eye until you see yourself in my eyes. He did. And I knew then he could bring that character alive.
1: George Foreman is with us right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Big George Foreman hits the theaters uh, coming up this Friday, April 28th. You know, the interesting thing with Chris is we met him down at the Super Bowl. We did some interviews with him. And, you know, I've watched sports movies in the past where, you know, a 6'1 dude is playing a 6'9 guy. Chris is, I don't know if he's as big as you are in your prime, but Chris can play the role. He's a big guy.
2: Chris is a gigantic of a fellow. But what he did in that movie was beyond size. He transformed himself, his whole body, to the George Foreman uh, different parts of my life. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, Uh, Forrest Whitaker was was in the movie as well in an important role. How much did you have to coach him? And, you know, Forrest doesn't need much coaching in terms of being a great actor, but on the character.
2: Well, can you believe it? Uh, If there was going to be a a real movie star in the picture, it's great that it was Doc Brothers because this guy never gave up on me. Uh, Forrest Whitaker brought him alive again. I was so happy to see Doc Brothers live again in that movie. The man who never gave up on me. Once again, speaking
3: with George Foreman here on ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, big George Foreman hitting the theaters this Friday, April 28th. George, after a 10-year layoff, you returned to the ring seven and a half years later. And I'm happy to say I was inside MGM Grand Garden when you knocked out Michael Moore. You fought four more times. Um just that little ride there from the comeback to, to winning the title. I'm curious, did you consider retiring after more? You you still had, a, I think, four more fights afterwards. Was it a need to stay in the game? Was it just your body telling you, hey, I can do this? Take us through that time frame.
2: Yeah, when you think the, the hardest thing is not be, becoming a boxer, getting into boxing. The hardest part of it is getting out of boxing. <laughs> How do you get yourself <laughs> out of that situation? Because you keep saying to yourself, just one more, just one more, one more purse, or one more this, and you stay in. And sometimes you can overstay, your welcome. But I had taken 10 years out of boxing where I didn't even make a fist. I didn't want people to see a boxer when they saw the preacher in me. So I didn't make fists. I didn't even get upset about anything. And then having to come back, I had to work myself back in condition and get a lot of respect and getting that victory over Michael Moore was something spectacular for me it ever lived in my mind las vegas Well,
3: you know, <laughs> well, you know as as a uh, as a reporter we 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 learn over the years not to become emotionally involved with our subjects or you know just get caught up in it and i can tell you it is probably one of I could count on two hands where I actually got a tear in my eye watching Michael Moore drop and, and him getting counted out. It was a special moment to be a part of, obviously, not just as yourself as the champion, but as a reporter. Um, I'm curious, Anyone fights in your career spanning 28 years in making this movie and, and being a consultant to, to sort of share your thoughts. Was it difficult to zero on zero in on what exactly to encapsulate
2: Yeah, you try to, uh, when they're doing a movie, you try to tell your whole story, but they had to cut a lot of things out. And I remember thinking, I wish I could have cut a lot of things out of my life as well. (laughs) So many things I had to go through that I didn't want to relive again. But uh, the movie, you know, they captured what it was all about. Talk about Las Vegas and fighting run loud, being knocked down in Vegas, having to get up, knocked down again, having to get up. And you say to yourself, I'll die before I lose. You don't want to relive that.
3: Is there anyone that you never fought that you wished you would have fought?
2: Those guys were so tough in my life. Muhammad Ali, guy never gave up. Joe Frazier missing me, sounding like a bullet with that left hook. Passing my head, I can't imagine thinking, hoping I'd fought someone in the past. Jack Dempsey, Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano. I'm just happy I never had to face those guys.
1: (laughs) George Foreman's with us. He's here on ESPN Las Vegas on Cofield and Company. Big George Foreman. The movie hits the theaters. It's coming up at the end of the week. Really looking forward to this. Like we said, we talked to uh, the star of the movie, Chris Davis, at the Super Bowl. So we've been amped up uh, on this one for months. You know, the, the crazy thing, George, and I, I think you touch on it in the film, I'm watching the trailer, and the, I definitely saw the scene where you were talking about the grill. You know, there are a lot of people out there who only know you for the grill. I mean, this is a story that's going to be introduced to people and are like, oh, wait, he was that good in boxing? What are your thoughts on that, that you had you had all these different facets of life, but for a lot of people, what they remember you for is being this mega businessman and grill guy.
2: And that's strange because I've had a lot of parents bringing their kids to me when they're small trying to explain to them that I was heavyweight champ of the world. And the kid's like, no, he's not. That's the cooking man. <laughs> so the grill intimidated me for a long time. Really? Well, it, it worked out pretty well. Who, by the yeah, way, who came? Who, they didn't believe I was a boxer. They really yeah. did. The who,
1: who, uh, who came up with the idea for the grill?
2: Well, it was out there. I was uh, the darling of Madison Avenue promoting everything from Doritos to Pepsi Cola McDonald's. And one friend said, George, you're making all these other companies rich. Why don't you get your own product? And I did. With a joint venture, we looked for a product and found the George Foreman Grill. It worked, but I wasn't really interested in because there wasn't any money up front. My wife kept using it and convinced me, George, this thing works. And then When it did work, I said, I'll get 16, one for my aunt, another for the cousin and friends. I never had any idea it would be so successful. No way. George Foreman.
1: We talked to Big George late last week. The movie Big George Foreman is coming out Thursday in some spots, Friday, nationwide. Uh, One of our heroes, I think I can speak for you, uh, from an athletic standpoint, the comeback standpoint, the businessman standpoint. I mean, one of the most successful athlete pitchmen in the history of that area. One of the, the what was fun
3: about that interview, Steve, was we do so many interviews throughout the year right on radio and was doing it on Zoom and getting to look at him and talk and seeing his his reaction to some of our questions and the smile. You know what? He loved you could tell he loves, still loves Las Vegas. How many times he said, the place where dreams come true. Like he was reminiscing about old Vegas and, and, and what it meant to so many. And, uh, it, it was, that was, that was cool. That was, that was, a, that was a fun interview. And what made it great was being able to actually look at one another.
1: You mentioned you were at the Mor fight. I was. So what was it like?
3: It was, uh, there were literally people, there were media members hugging each other afterwards. Like it was that celebratory. The, the electricity to see, just to know that you're watching a legend, a guy who was in the ring with, as he said, you know, the Joe Frazier's, the, 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 Muhammad Ali's, you know, back then to, to, you know, if you grew up watching boxing, like boxing in any way, shape or form, you knew who big George Foreman was. And so to be a part of that, whether you were a spectator, but to be a media member and, like now we're in like a T-Mobile, if it, some are ringside, some are up top for UFC boxing, whatever, we were kind of up high. I was up high, uh, for, for that fight in the MGM grand garden, but there were people that, like I said to him, I mean, tears in their eyes, just, just in general, you, we, you just to what it almost happened. So cinematic too, when he hit them, it was slow motion in person. Yeah.
1: And so, Lampley's call, because I wasn't here yet. That was 1994. Uh, Lampley's call was awesome. And I. Like he was in shock. Yeah. It's like he did it.
3: Yeah. And I was there when Moore I was ringside at the outdoor stadium that he was talking about. I was there when Moore beat Holyfield. So. Amazing
1: it, boxer, amazing businessman. The comeback was crazy. I'd love to find out the story about what was going on, you know, between his two boxing careers, but one of the all-time great intimidating power men in the history of boxing, 76 wins for George Foreman, 68 by knockout. All right, let's talk a little Falcons as we're starting to move towards the range where the Raiders are selecting at number seven. The Falcons are at number eight. We was lean on Chris D'Amino from the fan in Atlanta. He joined Steve and Willie here in Vegas. How are you, sir?
0: Gentlemen, I'm doing well. How about you guys?
1: We're great. We're great. Uh, first of all, uh, how was the softball
0: game yesterday? Uh, yesterday was soccer. Um, oh, soccer. Okay. I, th- yeah. I thought it was a softball a game. My bad. Your daughter my, was yeah, playing my soccer. Youngest. Okay. <laughs> 17-year-old senior. It did not end well. They went to overtime ah. uh, out of the States in a round of eight. And that is it. I mean, I it's, as my wife said, I'm more emotional about it than my daughter. I start to think about all the miles <laughs> in a car. and yeah. My wife starts to think about all the money spent. and. Nine states over the last five years going to play soccer, and for a kid who told me last summer she didn't want to play in college, which oh, I'm no. okay with, I certainly understand it. It's time for her to get the cleats off for a little bit, but it's pretty emotional. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. I'll never ask her if she's got her cleats and her shin guards in a bag the way that I have. It seems every day for seven years, and I don't know how I'm going to break the habit. We'll see. <laughs> oh boy.
1: Uh, Chris Domino's yeah. with us, uh, Atlanta Sports Talk host. So I got to ask you, what is the vibe around Atlanta from a, a sports fan and sports talk standpoint? Uh-huh. Because this team always had star power. Now they've lost, what, uh, they've had a losing season five years in a row. We all remember Super Bowl 51. I just feel like there's no zip. There's a, there's no there's no juice behind the Falcons. Yeah. What's what's happening? Can they get it back soon?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny, too, because after that Super Bowl loss, they did go back to the playoffs. It wasn't as if, all, you know, all of a sudden that kick in the nuts kept them down, it was they were back the next year. They just didn't really take it one more step and, and have the parade here in town. And they haven't really been a 500 team, let alone over 500 in a number of years. And it kind of hurts. The cap situation was really bad. The Julio Jones rip up the contract twice. Matt Ryan, for, you know, the greatest Falcon ever. I'm not really sure they needed to try to keep juggling and kicking a can down the road. It might have been smarter at some point to start a new uh, sooner instead of now and and you're right it doesn't feel vibish it is a town that will get set on a tier when this is a good team it really will it it feels big when they're good unfortunately it feels a lot less than that when they're not and and attendance and i know what it looks like on tv and and i like the word y-y. i want my teams to have buzz i want there to be if the arrow's not pointing up i want to have a belief that it's about to point up and and hopefully now, hopefully, now that you're out a cap hell that, that you're in the last couple of years, the small baby steps of the smaller price-free agents now lead you to this draft where things have an opportunity in the division that might not be very good again to do something, which is go to the playoffs.
1: But it starts at quarterback. So yeah. this looks like kind of a patchwork deal at quarterback. What's the story of quarterback? And are they going to look in the draft at trying to draft another quarterback?
0: So, if you mean the first-round quarterback, everybody's saying that they're going to go with Desmond Ritter. So, my, the guy that I want them to pick flies in the face of what I would normally do, but I'm going to take them at face value. How do I find out if my quarterback can play? I make a pick that helps my quarterback find out if he can play. Four games in, nobody knows what the guy can do. Uh, he played a lot of college games. He played high at the college level in the lesser conference. Everybody knows his story. He's mature. He seems bright. He's a family guy. He's got a lot of boxes checked. When you play four games, oh, when you play twenty games, thirty games in this league, nobody knows. people are trying to figure out what Derek Carr is nine years into his career. So it's not a shame. It's not a crime that it to be to be determined on Desmond Ritter. But I probably need to use this year if they are telling the truth and they're not going to. If C.J. Stroud falls to eight, would they go do it and change the direction? I don't think they will. But I got to be honest. There's not been a lot of leak or, you know, because of the cap situation, it really hasn't been a strong lean as what the general manager and the head coach want to do. They've been trying to, you know, take water out of the boat, it seems, for the last two years.
3: Chris, and and that's what's wild is is ever since it's been solidified that Bryce Young is going to go first. Now all of a sudden our quarterback's dropping. Where are they going to land? Who's hoping – as far as the Falcons, like, are they content in sitting at number 8 just behind Las Vegas Raiders? Or would they like to, like, make a move and move up or move down? I mean, where are they content at 8?
0: Yeah, look, there are people who tell you the doomsday scenario, and this is what happens when you're in one of those general malaises that this franchise is in. I mean, I had a guy actually flat out say on the air today, well, the way I look at it, there's only seven bonafides, and, of course, the Falcons pick eight. I mean, that's ridiculous because I don't even know who the seven bonafides are right, and why there right. couldn't be more or why there wouldn't be less. It just seems like a thing that you say when a team has been seven and nine for a couple of years and under 500 for this many. Oh, it's just buzzard's luck. We're not really going to have a chance of a good player. That's ridiculous. You can get a good player at eight. Uh, I don't want to give it away just yet, but the guy that I want, I think you can get actually lower than eight. So dropping backwards and picking up another pick would be the way that I would like it to go, but. If you don't get that guy after you drop back five spots, you know what has to happen that night. You have to tell the world through your teeth, we got the guy we wanted the whole time. And, right. and you, are you just better off taking a guy at eight, or are you sort of willing to roll the dice and go, well, I'm not going to get screwed in this dropping back five spots? I don't know. But there, there really hasn't been enough of cap, free agency, we're a piece, two pieces away, where you see how they would attack it. We don't know enough about how they might go after it. I do know this: They took a guy at tight end at four who's not a tight end, and they took a wide receiver in the first rounds, the last two rounds. Now, that's supposed to tell me something. Maybe they're trying to win it on the offensive side of the football by scoring more than the 21 they scored last year. I just don't know if that's really something you can do week in and week out in this league, uh, asking your offense to get off the bus to the point where it will cover up the defense.
1: Chris Domino's with us here on Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. We're uh, doing the path to the draft. With the Falcons, are at number eight. Uh, Chris, of course, uh, as I mentioned, does uh, radio for a long time now in Atlanta on the Fan uh, in the ATL. All right, so so where are you going here? You mentioned getting help. You, you're not going to go another receiver. It doesn't sound like that. You're going to go offensive line. I mean, it's a it's a strength of this draft. Or you go you know defense. I thought you could get Tyree Wilson, but who knows what's happening with that guy? It's a deep cornerback draft. What do you want to do?
0: So I'm going to fly in the face of everything I believe and I'm going to get Bijan Robinson. I'm going to find out this year. I'm going to find out this year if Desmond Ritter, I'm going to help find out if Desmond Ritter is a quarterback or do I have to go through this again next year? I think Robinson is the, he's the one guy that I think helps your quarterback more than anybody, more than any lineman, more than any receiver. I just think in a world where trying to go over the top has become a little bit tougher to do if I can get underneath help with a guy running the football and catching the football, I'm going to do it. Now, it's a turn-and-burn world. You know, if I get four or five years out of a guy and he flips my franchise and I'm a 10-win team, 11-win team, God willing, even a tick better than that, and I have a chance winning playoff games with him, I'll do it. Uh, I'd like to do it at 12 or 13 and pick up another pick, but I'm not so sure if that's the guy that I want that I'm willing to play the game of, Will I definitely have them, or will I be picking an offensive lineman, lying through those teeth and telling everybody I got who I wanted the whole
2: time? <laughs> Do you
1: have the stones to take B. John Robinson if Stroud is sitting there at eight at quarterback?
0: I don't know. That's, that, I, it's so funny. Right. That's exactly what I put out there yesterday. You know, when you hear a, a cognitive test, I, I listen, the, the combine to me is a goof. Wunderlich's a goof cones and bench presses is a goof now i'm hearing about something brand new that none of, none of us have ever heard about well let's come up with another test that tells you that this guy's really smart and this guy isn't i don't know Would i have the stones no because i i i kind of think cj Stroud is and i have to write some due to georgia there's no reason for me to believe he can't play quarterback but am i willing then to go oh by the way we have now just flipped the script on everybody Look, it's, it's not like you have anything to lose. I hate to put it that way. I could certainly sell more tickets, I think, with C.J. Stroud here than Desmond Ritter, but I don't want to get into the world where I'm trying to sell tickets. I want to be a better football team. If I graded him out, yes, I would take it. If my grades came out on C.J. Stroud, uh, eyeball test, game film, I don't care about cognitive tests. I really don't. Uh, I, I would take it. I just think that that would it would both excite this fan base and have everybody going, oh, great, we're going to get this guy killed in his first year, and he'll never be as good as he could be.
3: Talking to Chris Domino, the fan. You can't, take him, fan. At, you can't in-
0: take him at eight and not play him, right? You can't take him at eight and not play him. Exactly. I think that's the thing. you got to play him at that point. yeah.
3: Right, those guys go in there. You, they have you're, you're not drafting them to sit them. Uh, so no. once again, speaking to Chris Domino, the fan in Atlanta. So we got about one minute, Chris. We got to ask you, what is this ballpark
1: village? Yeah, we we got the hard pitch from Dave Cavill of the A's that uh, that's a big part of their project, and he kept referencing yeah. Atlanta. I mean, how yeah. cool is it for that market?
0: So it's called the Battery, and while everybody was complaining about them moving up here, uh, it is live, work, play, drink. Play, drink, drink, and the Braves were smart enough to have Liberty Media was smart enough to have a piece of everything that's going on in here. They built apartments, they sold that. They didn't want to be in the chase rent business, but they did okay on that. They did very well, as a matter of fact. But it really is game day experience, and it's college game day experience, it's NFL game day experience, Braves experience. Yeah, it is. So our our office, my studio, looks right out to the ballpark. I mean, I could take a rock and hit the building, and I could also take a rock and hit the bar the sport and social, and and you're not the only ones who have come in here to look at it. Everybody is trying to figure out, if you're trying to put an ass in a seat and you think that's how you're going to make money, you're crazy. It's kiosk, online betting, phone (laughs) betting. Oh, yeah, and by the way, how much food and beer can I sell pregame, postgame, and the non-81 days that my team is here or the 95 games if its postseason? They have an opportunity to do that because it's big-screen TVs and college football and NFL football and, of course, Braves baseball concerts, they, they really have figured out a way to make money and the payroll proves it. They're making, I judge how the weekend's going to be by the Thursday beer trucks that are pulling <laughs> into the bar that I could see from our there office. When I see there them stacked go. up like planes, I know it's going to be a good weekend for Liberty Media.
1: Chris, you're awesome, man. We're up against it. I really appreciate the spot and have fun at the draft. Hopefully there's some sizzle that comes out of this for the Falcons.
0: Thanks, guys. Listen, Always appreciate it. Have a really good night.
1: There he is, Chris D'Amino, longtime host on The Fan in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I mean, the Falcons are just like a non-factor. I mean, that, I always felt like that team had star power. They've just been missing something for like five, six years now. So we just talked to uh, one of the radio dudes in Atlanta, Chris D'Amino, Steve Cofield, Willie Ramirez, ESPN Las Vegas. We were previewing the Falcons draft, which, by the way, that was kind of a a, a dud. I mean, I guess it's a, it's a bold pick if they're going to take – he would like them to take running back. B. John Robinson, I think that's a terrible pick. But if part of it is getting some sizzle back with the organization, Robinson would do that. I don't know what you do when you take a quarterback and then you don't give him a chance, and then you go into year two. I guess you just have to look at it like, hey, whatever he does, he does. And we've got Heineke as the backup. They paid Heineke, I thought, a pretty good amount of money. So maybe that's the plan. Um, I would make a boring pick, and I would get an offensive lineman, or I would get, I would get one of the three pillars of – NFL franchises, an O-lineman tackle at that pick. A tackle, a cornerback, or an edge rusher, or an interior defensive lineman. I don't know if they're going to do that. But the other part of the conversation was about what the Braves have built around their new stadium in Cobb County. And I remember talking about that stadium, and I'm like, why do they need a new stadium? They got that refurbished, and at the time it was like 25 years old. But they had that refurbished Olympic Stadium That was fine, but they didn't own the neighborhood around it. So here's what they've done there, kind of what the A's want to do here in Vegas. Not only do you own the ballpark, but you own the, as they call it, the battery, the ballpark village, and then you can make money off your property year-round. I was also looking. I'm like, wait, isn't Buckhead's a really big entertainment district with a lot of bars? I'm like, how far is that? And then I thought to myself, well, Atlanta's a living hell to get around. It's only seven miles. I mean, right now it says the drive, what is it, 730? The drive would be 13 minutes. I don't believe that, but... They're certainly, with that battery, they're competing against Buckhead, which, I mean, there is no more intense competition that the A's would face than the Las Vegas Strip. But there's also the positive, if they get that pedestrian bridge done and people can walk over from, you know, I'm not even going to say it's the middle of the Strip, but, you know, from behind T-Mobile over to an entertainment district, that would be pretty sweet for the A's. But it also, that, again, brings up the questions that we had last week, like what sort of strip casino backing are they going to get if they're potentially drawing people away from the strip year round? It's, it it also
3: reminds me of what the Cardinals did out. if, If you look across center field, I was there the year that the Royals went to the World Series and lost, so the year before they won it, because I watched the Royals knock the Angels out of the series, drove up to St. Louis and watched the Cardinals beat the Dodgers, watched two playoff games. And ballpark village in St. Louis sounds like what uh, Chris was explaining in Atlanta as far as the battery is concerned. Across the street, which when I say across the street, minor street over center field is ballpark village, restaurants, and different theories the outside pregame radio shows like ours, right? Doing pregame stuff sort of be, it'd be like the VGK show outside of T-Mobile. It was outside in ballpark village for Vegas. It would be phenomenal because there are already places that are built in terms of like fast food joints or a Starbucks, whatever's around there. They would just build around that. Also think about Toronto's, uh, what is it Rogers? Right, they, there's a there's a Marriott I think in Centerfield overlooking. I mean, they could do a lot with that with those properties. There's going to be a lot of old school business owners in that area that would probably be willing to sell their land for a big price. It's a great idea in terms of what the A's owner wants to do to put money into the uh, into the organization itself and into the development. It's it's fascinating to to wonder what they could come up with when you tie Vegas in. Absolutely.
1: Well, it also makes for a tremendous storyline if the Raiders are having troubling are having trouble developing the district around their stadium because they don't own any of the other property and those are you know warehouse businesses that are doing fine. I'm sure want you know ten times their real value to get out and then right down the road there's a whole entertainment district right owned by their enemy. At least the uh, the ownership is the enemy of Mark Davis, and he said that, like, I'm not interested in any partnerships with these guys, not after the way they treated us. Giveaway time, 364-1100, ZZ Top Tickets, Friday, May 5th, in Laughlin, Rio Vista Amphitheater in Laughlin, Ticketmaster.com, as you can grab the tickets. But Ari's got a pair right now. Caller 7-ZZ Top, Friday, May 5th, 364-1100.
0: Scofield Company's Eye on Sports Betting with
1: Sammy P., Sam Peniotovic is in with Cofield and company as we uh, head towards the 5 o'clock hour. A lot more Raiders coming up. We're watching some hockey right now as the Islanders on top of Carolina. Three minutes left in the first. It's one nothing there. So let's, talk, uh, let's start talking some playoffs with the NBA and a little bit on the NHL. Sammy, how you doing, buddy?
4: Doing good, Steve. You know, if Tyree Wilson goes second or third, I might run naked through the streets. There's a graphic for you.
1: What do you have in terms of odds? Like, What are the possibilities?
4: Well, I have him first defensive player off the board at 10 to 1. And We talked about this on your show two weeks ago. I actually had to drive to get a physical ticket because the app wouldn't let me bet 100. So I had to go to the counter God. at Winbet. And I said, look, I want to bet 1,000 on this at 10 to 1. And, of course, it got denied, and they said, "We'll give you X. And I said, I don't want X, and now you have my information. Give me something good. So they made the call to Vegas, and I give them credit. They gave me a nickel, at 10-1. to So it's 5 to win 55. And you look at the boards now, like I'm looking at some of these shops in Vegas, he's minus 130, minus 150 to be the first D guy. So I feel good about it, but, you know, the Will Levis trade, if it happens, could change everything at 2, and that's really, as we all know, where the draft starts.
1: Yeah, what's going on now with this random Reddit post, and all of a sudden we saw – uh, earlier today, I think it was DraftKings took Levis from forty to one at. Uh, is this at the number one pick all the way up to four to one? Yeah, it's number one
4: for sure. Oh and it's it's funny because I think we all know, and I don't want to speak for you and Willie, but I I'll speak for myself. I don't think Will Levis is going one overall, but no. this is just a microcosm of why booking the draft sucks for the house because. Some random post gets online at Reddit where it says, blah, blah, blah. Will Levis is telling family and friends he's going first. He's going to Carolina. I don't think sports books believe that, but guess what happens? You take a $500 bet at 40 to one. You don't move the line. You take another 500 bet at 40 to one. All of a sudden you're talking about two clicks and you've got liability of $20,000 a pop, And then you move it to 20 and they keep betting it. People are betting what they want to be right in the draft. And that's basically what is going on right now. This information that probably isn't true was fluctuated out into the world. And now Will Levis is four, five, six to one to go number one. And it's funny because we get lost in that number, but we ignore the fact that Bryce Young is still minus 1200 to go first, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, the books have to move the number because they're taking bets and building liability. But I've talked to a couple guys around the country that they don't think there's any chance Will Levis goes one, but the liability speaks more than the information. And that's really all that happened. That's what I was going to ask you, Sammy P, was
3: did the cause of those wagers and the increase of liability force the books to lower the odds? Could it have been a ploy to... Because you know there are there are there are groups out there that'll do little things to try to get the lower odds on the big price on young. So, but but they didn't budge on that.
4: They budged a little bit. I mean, maybe somebody took it from minus two thousand to minus a thousand. Um, right. But still, I mean, those numbers imply a serious high ninety percent probability. So it's all smoke at this point. I think the real thing to pay attention to is if Minnesota is serious about trading up to number two. And that's from a viable source. I mean, like, obviously, things come from all directions in terms of draft rumors. But if you follow the Daniel Jeremiah's, Lance Erlines, Todd McShay's, Ian Rappaport's, like, there's some serious possibility that Minnesota looks at Kirk Cousins and says, you know, this ain't it. And maybe they do trade up to number two and take Will Levis. And that's why Levis is currently favored. Uh, I give Circa credit. that They have the biggest Rolodex right now in town on uh, on draft stuff. Circa's dealing a number two market where Levis is plus 150, Tyree Wilson is plus 170, and then Will Anderson is plus 275. I think that's protection against a trade more than anything because that's the latest rumor. The hottest yo-yo on the block is Levis 2, maybe in a trade. But if they keep the pick at two Houston, they're going D by all accounts. I mean, everybody says if Houston keeps the pick, they are going D and that's from respected guys that cover the league. Now, do I know if it's Tyree Wilson or Will Anderson? No, I don't. I'm not going to act like I do, but it sounds like that's going to swing the draft. If somebody comes up and trades the two, like a Minnesota, they're going to go quarterback and the odds are good that it's Levis. But if Houston and Arizona both keep the picks, we're talking Bryce Young 1 and then D2 and probably D3.
1: Sam Peniotovic from Nessun from Fox Sports is up on ESPN Las Vegas with Cofield and company. Is anyone dealing a straight over-under pick number now on Will Levis or did everyone have to pull it?
4: I don't see one up right now. I'm looking I, at DraftKings right
1: now, and I know they had one. I could swear we talked about it three weeks ago, and it was like seven and a half, and now I don't see it.
4: Well, that's what you have to do. You have to pull it down because let's say you have a number up, and I think the one that we talked about two weeks ago was actually six and a half. Oh, six and a half, okay. Yeah, well, okay, tomato, tomato, right? I mean, we're talking six or seven I can't remember. Right, because this stuff changes like crazy. And, that's again, this all builds into the reason why these books, a lot of books, don't put stuff up until week of the draft. I mean, you know, give Circa credit for taking the draft bets, but they just put them up, it feels like, the other day. Where, you know, some books have taken them for a month now, but why, why put up a guy? Like I was talking to Jeff Benson and I'm doing a story on this for Fox, uh, tomorrow. You can check it out on Fox. And he said, one year we made a draft position prop on a player. Let's say his name's Willie Ramirez. Right. And his number is 150.5. Like that's his draft position. Jeff says, we moved the line 80 points. He's like, he closed at 70 and a half. Because we just don't know. And then the information comes out and it goes to hell. So that's that's what happens with Levis. Once these reports come out and you're talking about betting them to go one or two, how can you still deal a market on position? And then you got some guys that took under six and a half, under seven and a half, and then some that go over two and a half, and he goes four and everybody's cooked. Um, it's, yeah, man, I mean, this is the quote of the story from Benson is the odds are the or are the objective of booking the draft. Is not to get killed. <laughs> like that's their prerogative. And guess what? Sometimes they do.
1: And they did. Yeah, you know, they did a couple years ago when they had you know eighty players up. Um, is there any truth to this one? I, I I don't know, man. Every every time I see pre-draft rumors on the Patriots moving up and it involves an offensive player, I just I can't believe it. Do they have an interest in one of these quarterbacks in the first round? And would Belichick move up? Is there any buzz on that at all?
4: trying to dig through bill belichick's garbage has proven to be impossible um since he's been the head coach in new england i haven't been here long in boston but i know that he almost like mega zags when you zig if that makes any sense um i know they like a couple players i know i know they like joey porter um we're hearing they like Bajan robinson because in a division with Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and Tua, maybe Bill sees a way where he's going to have to bowling ball his way to eight, nine really? wins. With... Yeah. Well, I mean, look, you got Mac Jones. He's the worst quarterback of the no, four. No,
1: I understand that. I think Ramondre Stevenson has kind of proven himself to be at least, I don't know, 75% of what a Belichick back can be.
4: But if you have Ramondre and then you take a guy like Bajon Robinson, imagine what you could do. You can reinvent the wheel. You could go like – you know, the Auburn team with uh, Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams. Like, I'm just trying to think like Belichick. Like, he knows he's not going to throw his way to a division title. So maybe they go Robinson. Look, if I'm Belichick, I'm taking an offensive lineman, whichever one's available, and I think that's probably what he does. He did it last year with Cole Strange. You trade down, you get an offensive lineman, 19 or 20 or whatever. But if he keeps the pick, I mean, they have so many needs. They need – well, they need a quarterback, which I don't know that they're willing to, to make that decision or, or not, but they need wide receiver. They need a corner. They need an offensive tackle. They need a defensive end. I mean, they've got a lot of holes in New England. And, you know, I know you put this in the notes. Look, all of a sudden, this AFC has the following quarterbacks. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. <laughs> Okay, you got Mac Jones. What's your plan? <laughs> right. I, I, I don't right. I, I don't think that the Patriots are going to be throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game because they don't have the quarterback and they don't have the weapons. So if I'm Bill, and and look, Bill's sort of getting senile at this point, whether people in town want to admit it or not. He's almost like the smartest guy in the room, and maybe he is. But maybe he tries to go power run in a division with Rogers and Allen into it. Maybe he does. I have no idea what they're doing and neither do the books.
1: You know, if Belichick was smart, he'd actually go the route of his mentor Parcells who had no loyalty. And anytime Parcells looked at a situation, he was like, this sucks might be my fault, but I'm leaving. I, I said, <laughs> I said a couple times in the off season, I thought Belichick one should have just freaking driven up his price. Um, and put Bobby Kraft in the corner, and you know, said, "Hey, I want twenty million a year. I'm going to the Cardinals." Like, I I think there were a couple situations out there that someone would have taken him out of desperation. Like, hey, you know what? The guy's got the equity. Let's bring him in. The more you more you look at the roster with Belichick, it's like, dude, move on. One way or the other, I don't like you said. Go to the NFC. This is ridiculous with this set of starting quarterbacks now. I don't think he wants
4: to leave, though, Steve, and that's the yeah. problem. He yeah. is he is entrenched in New England. He has built a dynasty here. Now, I'll say this, but I don't think you know anybody in that building would say it. The dynasty is over. I mean, they're not winning a Super Bowl with this roster, and no. I don't think they're winning one with this quarterback. But there is something to be said about this competition between Brady and Belichick, and once Brady leaves, how about this? He goes to a Super Bowl and wins one without Bill. So I think in the back of Bill's mind, he feels still, at this age and at this time, the need to prove that he can win without Brady. And he probably won't. But that's sort of the elephant in the room. Brady has a ring without Belichick. Belichick, as a head coach, doesn't have a ring without Brady.
3: Well, Sam, uh, give it time because there's a team out west that's been built the Patriots way. And when that coach proves he can't coach, Belichick will be enticed to come to Vegas. Let's move on to baseball. Um, your Red Sox putting up some big numbers.
4: Yeah, in terms of the overs, they certainly are. I mean, it's a small sample size. But look, they have one of the worst starting pitching staffs in baseball right now. The ERA for their starters is 671, 6.71. 6.71. They also score the fourth most runs in game a uh, game in baseball at 5.69. So, good offense and awful starting. Sale and Kluber both have ERAs in the eights right now. Now, you would give young pitchers time to maybe find their stuff, but these, dude, these guys are getting hit hard. They're getting rocked. Sale gives up, you know, another crooked number last night. He's been awful. Yet, they're going to keep Sale and Kluber out there. So, I know over time the books catch up. But the Red Sox are 17-7 and seven to the over this year. That's that's 70%, 71%. And I know that trends don't pay the rent, and Jimmy Vicaro told me that a long time ago. But look, in the next 30 or 40 games, if they can go 6 out of 10 to the over, 6 out of 10 to the over, 6 out of 10 to the over, that's 18-12. and 12. Would you take that for the next month? Hell yeah, you would. Yep. Pay attention to these Red Sox overs. Their starters suck, and they're hitting the ball.
1: Sam, we appreciate it. I hope you get your uh, your big payoff with Tyree Wilson. Some uh, smart timing on the betting. I hope it pays off. I appreciate that. I'll talk to you guys next week. We're always rooting for you. We're always rooting for you. There he is, from Nesson, from Fox Sports, Sam Panionovich. In the West, we got about twenty seconds left here. In the check that in the East with the Bucks almost out, Celtics are a massive favorite to win the East. Mm-hmm. If you want to find some value, do you still play on the Bucks at three twenty five to win? The East Sixers are four fifty. Heat are eighteen to one. Out of
3: those numbers, it's hard to go against the best player that's remaining, which is which is Giannis. But I might be taking the Sixers.
1: I mean, remaining is <laughs> it's looking pretty shaky pretty right now. Yeah, five o'clock hours on the way.